0: Welcome to The Actual Kevin Peter Show. This is episode five, and I am your host, Kevin. With this podcast, it's my goal to spread great ideas around business, culture, food, technology, and music. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the last mile logistics problem, tips on starting your own Shopify store from a Shopify employee, and breaking into tech when you come from a non-traditional background. Guys, this is another great episode. Don't miss it. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Today, we talk about e commerce and last mile platforms. And as some of you know, I am slowly ramping up my mom's local fast food joint, which will end up becoming a huge player for the foods division of my company, Hollow Hollow. One of the major challenges that we are currently having with the restaurant is its location. It's not the best location, and we are currently situated in an industrial area surrounded by a bunch of small businesses which are related to manufacturing and automotive. Um, We don't get a lot of retail traffic uh, with this location, but the walk-in sales that we do get are from the people who work in these small businesses. Although we are not getting the type of exposure I want right now, these small business owners and employees are expressing the fact that they do enjoy and relish that there is a local food spot where they can hang out during lunch or after work, and they appreciate this new environment as they didn't really have it previously, and the types of relationships I am building out with these people who can actually build and manufacture things are proving to be quite useful. In fact we are slowly renovating this space before our grand opening at the end of next month. And I am contracting a few of these small business owners to help out uh, with some of the repairs, uh, building out our physical sign and the back office. This, I mean, is amazing. The restaurant is truly becoming a part of their community. And as each piece of the restaurant is being built out by someone who owns a business in the area, uh, it causes this huge community and belonging um, aspect of this whole project, which I think is really, really awesome. To tackle our lack of location, I've been very aggressive with dominating our digital presence, from developing our Hollow brand story and growing the online community through various social media platforms. But we also have been testing out a few partnerships as well, which will help solve our means of delivery. These platforms involve Uber Eats and a few others, which I won't really name right now until their announcements within the next couple of weeks. But we are also testing out e-commerce platforms such as Shopify to sell other products from within Hollow Holo food brands that is more than just a cooked meal. The problems that these platforms are solving for Hollow were once problems that would cause huge burdens from a operational cost standpoint uh, to many retail businesses Some of the benefits that are gained from joining these platforms will help us increase our visibility, our marketing reach, but most importantly, it solves a key logistical problem for us, which was the last mile problem. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the last mile concept, it was a problem which came traditionally from the old telecommunications world when they were trying to figure out cost-effective ways to deliver television to each household um, and set up the initial cable lines that we use today but now Last Mile denotes the final stage of a supply chain where you have some sort of distribution center like Amazon or, or Canada Post or even a restaurant in this case to deliver some sort of physical product or uh, a cooked meal uh, to their end customer or end user. The final stage um, is always a situation where there is some sort of small package or parcel that needs to be delivered to a customer that is most likely not even far away. He he or she could even be a block away from the distribution center. But even so, all of these packages that end up at these distribution centers, finding cost-effective ways to deliver these packages to all of these customers is proven to be a huge challenge right now for the industry. And if you are a business that is not really leveraging the correct delivery platforms or a proper distribution channel, you could see your margins being eaten up to you by 30%. And this is an interesting case where um, the issue is not sales, it is not R&D, it's not manufacturing. There is demand. The customer wants it. That's why they bought it. The issue is actually just delivering it to them. And that is what's known as the last mile problem. How do I get a customer that wants my product to their hands without them having to come to us? Today, this whole industry of small package and parcel delivery has a total valuation of $83 billion. And with the growing rise of e commerce and the growing expectation of retail buyers wanting their packages delivered in two days or less, and we can thank Amazon for that, we're most likely going to see a doubling or even a tripling of the value of this industry grow in the next decade as these markets mature more, especially as these large players such as Uber, Amazon, and Shopify entering the mix. These companies had identified that this final stage of their supply chain, and I guess the the final frontier, if you will, They believe that this will be an area within their company that will end up driving real year over year growth of revenue and profitability for their lines of businesses within the next coming years. And not just these large players too, but all the small ventures such as mine, which are joining these platforms as well. I had a great chance to talk to one of my friends who currently works at Shopify to get her thoughts on how these new customer demands are changing how businesses reorganize themselves to take advantage of these delivery platforms. So let's transition to that conversation right now. Hey guys, uh, today I'm joined with one of my buddies, uh, Kristen Shi, who we met from one of our old uh, jobs previously. But we know each other for two years. And yeah, today she's over we're playing some Zelda we're also <laughs> talking about the last mile problem that I was talking about earlier but Kristen um you're working on Shopify now um how's how's life like how, how are things going
1: it's been pretty fun working in kind of startup for a bit because before this we were both working in like a corporate environment
0: um me much longer than yeah you, you uh, worked in a corporate environment for
1: like a hell of a long time but like I just did the one co-op but like working in startups is fun you learn a lot it's a very chaotic unstructured environment back when I was working you know like in that corporate world like I definitely felt like people were holding my hand yeah. nobody gives a shit about you in startup world like, it's really sink or swim but it's been a good learning experience I, I,
0: I feel like I've learned way more than these past months in the past like year at. Like, you
1: are like a transformed person you like <laughs> like you for real though like you feel I feel like you're so you have so much sage
0: wisdom just to provide right?
1: just in like these two months you're like I've like rediscovered myself <laughs> yeah. in these two months
0: yeah um so I At Shopify, their platform right now, it's probably the most easiest platform for people to get started creating their own businesses. And it really allows them to solve the last mile problem of, okay, I have a small business and I have all this inventory. Shopify allows me to distribute these products to my end user in a very cost-effective and competitive way compared to other uh, options right now on the market. So, Kristen, were there any lessons that you've learned while working at Shopify that you can share for people who are starting out their own businesses?
1: Yeah, I definitely think so. Like, I think coming in. OK, so for people who don't know, like Shopify is a commerce platform. Um, when it started, it was just like an e-commerce platform. So it's like if you wanted to have an online store, Shopify built software that like enables you to build a website easily to do like online checkout, that kind of stuff. They've since expanded to include like POS systems, like point of sale systems. So if you have like a retail physical presence. You can use Shopify hardware to check out for your customers. Plus it's like you can sell through other channels like Facebook or Instagram, that kind of stuff. So it's not just e-commerce, but multiple channels, platform. I guess some of the big things that I've learned, one of the hardest parts of running a business is not necessarily sourcing the product. It's the marketing that comes behind it. And this is kind of a phenomenon that we've seen in like recent years where it's incredibly easy to find cheap and good products, but it's extremely difficult to sell those products. And the way like we kind of at least I like to describe it is that as time goes on, the cost of products approaches zero and the cost of marketing like approaches infinity. So I feel like the advent of companies like Shopify has made it extremely easy to find products and to get them onto a website. But it's massively difficult to actually sell those products to get like interested customers.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point that you you mentioned that products are now becoming cheaper and marketing is becoming more expensive. Why? Why is that?
1: Yeah. So a lot of that is because it's far more efficient to find products nowadays. You know, in the past, like, let's say I wanted to sell like candles or something like that. If I wanted to sell candles and I wanted to, like, make them a certain scent or whatever, I'd have to put up like a large upfront cost to make those candles. I'd have to buy the you know the in economics talk about like fixed costs you have to buy the capital to get all that started so I have to buy the technology that allows me to make those candles I have to experiment with it so like there's a time cost associated with it basically it was in the past it was very laborious to make something but Nowadays, technology has made it very easy for you to find great products overseas and to ship them here cheaply. With the advent of like marketplaces like AliExpress or like even eBay, you can not only find products really quickly, but you can find highly specific products quickly, and you can also compare those products quickly. So it's extremely easy for someone like me to go online and just find candles that I want for cheap and then ship them here. The reason the cost of product approaches zero is because I think there's better information for store owners out there is that like, they know what products are on the market and they can buy them more quickly from wholesalers rather than having to go through the whole process of like making those products themselves. So that's one side of the equation is that people find products easier, they can get them here cheaply. The reason the cost of marketing approaches infinity is that there are so many businesses out there that can offer you cheap products. So the only way to differentiate yourself then is on the basis of brand loyalty and brand love, not on the basis of price because products are so cheap now for most users like a 10 cent 50 cent 1 dollar difference isn't going to make a difference it'll be things like how does wearing this product or having this product make me feel and I'll point to a really good example actually that I feel like marketing really indicates the success of this brand daniel wellington is one yeah. um a lot of people don't know that daniel wellington brand watches are pretty much worthless they come from like factories in china like their branding kind of makes them seem as though they are this old brand from like England or whatever most people don't know that the brand is about three four years old all the watches are from like Alibaba you can buy them yourself like directly from Alibaba but they market it up to around 100 to 120 dollars or whatever for that company the cost of producing those watches is basically nothing but what they spent a lot of money on was Instagram ads They put a lot of effort into taking like really quality product shots that made their product seem more expensive than it really was. They spent a lot of money building up a network of like Instagram influencers to give Daniel Wellington the appearance of being this high quality brand. So this is an example of a company that ended up becoming very successful using this model of like a low cost product and a lot of money spent on marketing. And I feel like this is the future of a lot of online businesses, especially because For most users, they wouldn't have known that Daniel Wellington was not worth much unless they had gone on Reddit or something to research that. Yeah,
0: I've noticed that. So a lot of people are starting up their own uh, Shopify stores. And I think like long term effects now, I'm just thinking about it is long term effects of this is that you're going to have a certain skill set. So you are essentially you're sourcing out the learning curves to other countries where they will learn manufacturing and how to produce stuff cheaper, faster, and better than us. Whereas on the other side of the market is that as we source these products, we are learning how to market and sell them better. So one side will learn how to manufacture and produce products, and the other side is going to have better skill sets in selling, marketing, and creating the brand story. Absolutely. Um, I don't know, do you have like thoughts on this? Or, or like, what do you think the market is going to head or, or the, well, what do you think are the effects of this long term as well?
1: So the first thing I would say is like, we kind of study this in policy. This is actually one reason why I'm grateful to have had like my social science background. We talk about like economies being at the like first stage, second stage, third stage. An initial stage economy is one that Is kind of focused on like agriculture, mainly resourcing. So, like Canada is an example of an economy that still relies on a lot of like first stage economic goods. We sell wheat, this is something that you grow directly from the earth. Then there's kind of like a second tier economy which sells like manufactured goods. So, you take resources and you turn them into other things. Japan is an example, like making laptops, making cars. And then there's like a third tier economy which is like it's mostly like an information based economy where people are selling services like marketing, consulting, like that kind of thing to me the reason we in the west are able to profit off of like the cheap goods in like asia mostly is because we are like at a third tier economy stage and like in asia they are still very much like a developing economy and they still rely heavily on manufacturing to kind of make their money so i wouldn't necessarily say that it's a direct cause of like oh the people in the west are like better suited to it i would say it's more to do with like development and like political changes that have enabled the west to reach the third tier economy stage faster than countries in Asia whether that or not that's a good thing. I think for now it's a good thing like it allows us to produce goods really cheaply. And it's kind of interesting because a lot of people <laughs> in the west talk about this concept of like, oh, I want something that's made in America or um, you know, buy local that kind of thing. Buying local has I would say some good effects, but for the most part it's highly inefficient. Like if you're going to force people to grow something here when it's not specialized to do that, you kind of just artificially raise the cost for no reason. So I think it's actually a good thing that we're able to get these goods so cheaply. I think it assists both economies fairly well. Um, The only time that it would be harmful is if you're concerned about, like, I guess, human rights abuses, like, in those factories. But they're kind of cracking down on that, so it's not as big of an issue anymore. But overall, I don't think it's a bad thing that Mm -hmm. we have a lot of goods from China. Like, I think this notion of, like, oh, if it's made in China, it's bad. It's just, like, stupid.
0: So I want to get your thoughts around, like, this side hustle movement that's going on. For many years, humans never had... The employee status, right? They had each had their own business or trader or, or craft. Some people had employees, but it was very rare. Like large corporations today was very recent, and the idea of having an army of employees didn't come up to the most recent two centuries. Do you think that because of these last mile platforms becoming available to society? people are naturally going back to the way things were and and starting up their own passions or or creating their own businesses Mm -hmm. or are there other factors such as rising debts um student debt um that is kind of like pulling people in both ways where it's like hey it's easier to start my own business but oh shit i also have a lot of debt maybe i should (laughs) actually start my own business
1: yeah um for me I, i feel like i have a more philosophical answer to this if that's okay um so I think, like, when people started joining corporations, right, it's because those corporations at the time were designed, were in the process of scaling. And the only way to scale at the time was to have people who were highly specialized in certain fields, and everyone just kind of, like, did their own job. But that creates, like, a couple of inefficiencies, right? First off, that is based on the presumption that people are only good at one thing, and they will only be good at one thing for, like, decades to come. But that's clearly not the case. Like, human beings were designed to be, like, fast learners and to be, like, diverse in their skill set. So having someone be like an accountant for like 40 years um, might have worked like 100 years ago when the goal of a company was just to get everything kind of like kind of have a system in place. But it doesn't make sense from the worker's perspective. It doesn't take full advantage of everything that worker has to offer. So I think the reason we're seeing this kind of proliferation in side hustle side hustles is because one. People are realizing that they don't have to do one thing for the rest of their lives to be valuable in this economy. They've realized that there are multiple ways they can provide value and they're maximizing that. So people are finding an ideal balance where it's like, hey, can I provide the most value to this economy by working at my nine to five job? Or would it be better for me to work part time and maybe? do like have like an airbnb on the side or drive drive an uber right people are finding out ways to be useful to the economy in ways that corporations don't define anymore so we're seeing like a rise in people individually defining how they can be useful i also think that the reason we see more side hustles is that information is so readily available nowadays in the past let's say you had an extra three to five hours a day out of your job right maybe you don't know what to do with that time right you might have said Yeah, I could become a taxi driver, but there's so many barriers to becoming a taxi driver. Um, I don't really know the process of getting into that. Um, Well, Uber fixes that problem. It's incredibly easy to become an Uber driver nowadays. So now people are finding ways to spend that extra time intelligently because there's platforms that make it easy to do that. There is a lot of information online that makes it easy to sell your skills more quickly and with a very low barrier to entry. So I think, like, in part, people taking on side hustles is motivated in by the fact that, like, we have ballooning debt and stuff yeah. like that. But it's also because I think people are, like, in an age of self-actualization. <laughs> um, yeah. <The> actu-
0: <coughs> so when you say self-actualization, I think um, people are also just, like, experimenting, too. Um, I think people are just curious to see, hey, like, I could open up a Shopify store for, like, what, like, 10 bucks a month? Maybe the first month is free. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see if I can actually do this, right?
1: Totally, totally. I think people have, like a, an, like, a sense of renewed confidence that they didn't beforehand. In the past, people would be like, I can't start up, like, a clothing store because how am I supposed to compete with, like, H&M, right? But, like, now you can actually do that. I hate saying, like, oh, the internet, you know? It's so <laughs> great. But, like, it really is. Like, people... People now are able to compete in a way they weren't before. And like, because platforms like Shopify mitigate the risk and lower the cost to enter that market, people are like, yeah, I'll experiment and why not? And we've seen that people are successful. Like, these little small apparel brands gradually chip away at these bigger corporations' success. So, I don't know. I think that's a pretty positive thing. Like, I feel like more competition is always a good thing. So,
0: okay, Kristen, I have a cool question. So, a lot of people who are listening, probably already started a shopify account they probably failed the first time so i have like a quick story um i don't don't know if i'm gonna keep this in or not so me and uh, my two friends natalie and nathan shout out to those two we created a company called like accelerated sciences it was Mm -hmm. supposed to be like an incubator for science companies (laughs) Uh, but we built everything off shopify uh, and that failed in like two weeks. Like, <laughs> we Damn, that was uh, fast. So, no, the, dream, the dream is still alive. So I'm sure like a lot of people who are listening, they, they have their own Shopify stores or at least attempted. Um, and they also have the notion of like, hey, okay, maybe in a couple of months, I will try it again. And this time I'll be more successful because I've learned from my lessons. I've gained more experience. And now I have more financing to back up the Shopify store. So for those of you, For those listening who has, like, $100 in their pocket, what are three tips you would give them to start their own um, Shopify store? And also, with that $100, how would you spend the $100?
1: Damn, okay. I think the big thing I would say is, like, tip number one is really keep things simple. Um, In a business, there's, like, endless amount of complexity that you can get into, and, like, you will make it a nightmare for yourself if you keep saying, I got to, like have this, I have this, Um, you know, you don't have to run a business just because it's someone said you have to run it that way. It's like simplify wherever you want to simplify. So it's like, you know, if you don't want to have fancy packaging for your products, freaking don't like you're still selling a product, you're still making money. It's still a business. Um, If you don't want to have the prettiest website or the best logo, don't like keep it whatever helps you run the business the best you can for what resources you have at your disposal, do that. Um, So yeah, keep it simple. Don't get it in your head about like what needs to be complex. Second would be to think about like, So in tech, we say, like, think about the users a lot. But, like, yeah, think about, like, your end customer a lot. Um, I think when people start stores, they often think of themselves as the user. And they're like, well, I think it's cool. So, like, I would buy it. But, like, nobody gives a shit, right? Like, if you would buy it. The point is you're trying to convince the average person to buy it. So you have to constantly ask yourself you have to take yourself out of your own shoes and sometimes you need to bring other people to do this too but it's like you have to ask yourself at any given time is this something that other people would buy um and you'd find i think most people would find that they would uncover a lot of problems just based on that you know i'll give an example right like if you're going to sell t-shirts that have like a design on it you got to ask yourself maybe i think the design on the t-shirt is cool but will somebody else who's seeing this nobody store for the first time think that that shirt design is cool and moreover will they think it's cool enough to drop 30 40 50 dollars on it so you constantly have to find ways to incentivize your your customers in a way that maybe you wouldn't feel incentivized or even more than you'd feel incentivized so that's the second thing is like really keep your customers in mind at like every part of the
0: journey would you recommend constant experimentation of asking instagram or asking like polling people on facebook and social media what do they think
1: definitely there's there's always a cap to how much research you can do like um some at some point like research does not become useful anymore but definitely having people contribute opinions is helpful because i think entrepreneurs especially are mark cuban said this once entrepreneurs tend to fool themselves the most they get so hopeful about like this is going to be so successful that they blind themselves to weaknesses in the business so asking people to like keep it real with you and tell you like hey your shirt design sucks or like there's no way I'd pay 40 bucks for that it hurts in the moment but like it it will teach you something in the long run probably save you money in the long run too so yeah I would definitely recommend doing polls and there's other ways you can test this too right it's like you know let's say you want to launch like a new t-shirt design but you don't necessarily want to pay money for that t-shirt just yet what you could do is like get a photo, like a mock-up of that t-shirt, put it into a Facebook ad, and then see how many clicks that generates. Do like A-B testing on it. So you haven't actually sold the product yet, but you are testing to see how much interest it generates just from like, you know, that two, three seconds on social media. So always test before, you know, you're going to invest a lot of money, but also like know when to just kind of take the plunge. And that, that there's no way to... Do there's no like metric for that? It really is just comes down to I think gut feeling. Um, it's up to each entrepreneur. And then like I think my third tip is just persistence, right? You will hear a lot of stories about like these companies. Like I'm just gonna name a few off the top of my head, right? Like Fashion Nova, Daniel Wellington, uh <laughs> Shark, right? These are companies that make a shit ton of money now, but it's they've been around for a long time, and uh, it takes a massive amount of persistence to scale to that level you are not going to make a ton of money at least not sustainably within the first 1 to 2 months. Keeping that in mind, I think one be persistent but also set a cap for yourself. And this is actually a tip that I got from Kevin because as Kevin's like launching his new restaurant, he like you you told me that you set a cap, like you set like a time limit like we have to be profitable by this date. I'm only going to put in this much money. Setting that limit for yourself, I think, incentivizes you to work harder in that time period, but it also tells you... It also prevents you from, like, going bankrupt over this one idea. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. What was my third tip again? Something about, like, persistence. Yeah. And set limits. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now with the, the $100.
1: How would I spend that? Honestly, okay, I'd probably go on, like, AliExpress and buy, like, a shit ton of cheap products. Maybe spend, like, max 20 bucks on cheap products. I would go on Shopify, use only free themes to... Make my online store. I probably set up like an email newsletter and like get like a free logo off Logojoy or some shit. A uh, pirate illustrator and like make make my logo look fancy or whatever. And then I would funnel the rest of that into Instagram ads or Facebook ads, depending on whichever is more makes more sense for your product. So yeah, that's how I'd probably spend the majority of my money on on ads. I think.
0: Okay, makes sense. Like you want to create. You're trying to create demand first, and then. Get some sales and then quickly flip it, get the money and then buy product to kind of like marry the the supply to the demand.
1: Like I'll here's what I'll say about like buying things online because people can't hold your product in their hands. They have no idea what the quality of that product is like ahead of time. So it's like if I was going into like a Nordstrom, right, a Nordstrom having a physical presence is very important because people can feel how good quality the product is. And as such, they're willing to pay a higher premium for it. But when you're buying things online, there's no way to guarantee if it's good quality, bad quality, and most people would assume it's bad quality. So what you have to do is like generate that loyalty through marketing ahead of time rather than having a great product. So what I would say is that like, if you're selling online and only online, it's very important to differentiate yourself through like a brand presence rather than a product. Um, So that's, that's probably why I would spend more on marketing is most people will assume it's shit and it is shit. So (laughs) yeah.
0: Cool. Kristen, like you've, you come from like a non-traditional background. and I remember you saying you did like a bachelor's of economics, uh, which is like cool., uh, but now you're working in a field that is not in econ. yeah, uh, so
1: you don't have to say it's a cool major, by the way. It's not a cool major. It's super I lame like I
0: do.
1: okay, econ is like interesting in theory, but like it doesn't really do anything in the real world. like I'm just gonna I'm gonna break down what an econ degree is for everyone out there. An econ degree is basically a bunch of mathematicians sitting around being like, this might be how the economy works, but it also might not be. And then, like every ten years, you're like J.K., none of that meant anything. Let's just redo all of it. So that's basically what it's it is. Two thousand eight, happened, But the economics of it—it's like—and also being an, an economist basically just means you go on TV shows and you say everything is terrible, everything <laughs> yeah. is bad. The housing market, interest rates—you just say these words and you seem credible. So that's that's basically what my degree is. Um, but yes, Kevin, you're right. Like I do not come from a social background. Um, Okay, I'm not even going to lie, it's like massively difficult. We already live in a job market where if you're a liberal arts major, you're probably not going to get like super meaningful employment right off the bat. So trying to break into tech, which is incredibly competitive, is like even harder. Like you're not just competing against people who are STEM, but you're competing against people who are like from better schools suited to that. Yeah, it was extremely difficult. I would say that like for me, the reason I was successful was a huge mix of luck. Like getting that first job, that first break in tech, even though it was at a bank, Really set me up for success. Um, It taught me a lot very early on about how the tech world functions, and this is something that I think a lot of people don't get. Right, is that like to be successful in tech doesn't mean that you need to be like a software engineer. It means you have to have a certain mindset about how things work, Um, and this mindset can be adapted no matter what your background is. But you have to learn what that is quickly. So, like one thing, for example, right, is that people in tech do not value things that take a long time. Like they really value things like. like agile life cycle, right? Like things moving quickly, experimenting, failing quickly, that kind of thing. That kind of mindset is not taught at a lot of schools, right? Like just coming from my uh, academic background in political science, that's an industry where people are like, yeah, let's spend four to five years drafting one policy that maybe would work. So you have to train yourself out of the mindset from wherever you're coming from, right? And adapt yourself to this tech mindset of fail quickly, experiment a lot. Uh, don't hold any kind of assumptions about how things work so that's the first thing is like you have to unlearn this mindset second thing I would say is be really persistent right and always find a way to justify your value to people I think a lot of kids, like in my age group, assume that by having a degree that that says something about who they are. It doesn't mean anything anymore. I'll just be like straight up honest. Having a degree is basically means nothing. What's far more important is you have to justify your value to a tech company. It's more obvious when when your background is in software engineering, what value that would be. Someone like me, it's much harder for me to justify what my value is. So I spent a lot of time thinking, what's my value prop to like a tech company? And what I would say at the beginning was Hey, I know how to write, I've written a lot of stuff, I've done like a lot of public speaking here and there. That's where I can start. And after that, I started learning more about like design, product management, like engineering. And it's kind of helped me transition into different roles. And that's why I've had these different roles in tech, is because I've been able to sell a different story about my skill set. So for people who are interested in breaking into tech, who come from a similar background like me. It's gonna be discouraging for sure, but I think if you are creative about how you sell your skill set, and I think if you are willing to learn quickly, be willing to be at that bottom of like the the totem pole for a little bit, it's totally possible.
0: All right, guys, I think that's all we have for today's episode. Kristen, thank you so much for coming over, playing Zelda, and doing this uh, episode with me.
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Kevin. Like, legit, I, I was so honored to be invited because, like, most of the time I feel like you have to be kind of qualified to go on these things. And I'm just like, yeah i've done like a few internships and i'm like being asked my my opinion on things so i had my 15 minutes of it's kind of fun though
0: like everyone has like even even though you're like 20 like in your early 20s and you've had some experience everyone has like some knowledge and wisdom to share
1: everyone's got cool things to say like listen to the other episodes it was like it was it was much better quality than i thought it was gonna be (laughs) so it was good it was good
0: All right. Well, Kristen, thank you so much. Guys, if you want to follow Kristen and um, see some of the other projects she's working on, I'm going to add her Medium account to the description of the podcast as well as her Instagram account.
1: Cool. Thanks, Kat.
0: All right. Until next time, guys. So, guys, today we are joined by someone who has been slowly gaining her stripes in the tech industry. She has worked in various positions from large banking corporation. (laughs) Motherfucker. These are all like the little... uh... All right, guys, today we are joined by someone who has been slowly gaining her stripes in the tech industry. She's worked in various positions from large banking corporations assisting their starting... Okay, let me actually edit this (laughs) because I keep getting there and it's like the words are jumbled here.